Hello, hello, hello. Hello. And welcome back to the fourth annual Black Love Summit. This is not the beat, but this is what my body feels like doing. I like dancing, y'all. Um, so welcome back. Those at home, so grateful that you've joined us via the live stream presented by Target. This mic feels different than before. I'm like echoing. Um, I am Cody Lane Oliver, one of the creators of Black Love, a wife to Tommy, the other creator. Um, and we are here now for a really special conversation. And I say that not because I have anything to do with it, but because the couple joining me today are just very powerful in their love for one another, in their love for our community, in their ability to use their own experiences and vulnerability to help and um, impact others. And when I say that, I mean me, right? Like I'm so grateful to be a part, to, to be able to wake up every day and talk to people who inspire me and to show me how to be a better person, friend, daughter, wife, mother. Um, this thing is really echoing. I feel so loud right now, but I'm just gonna rock with it. I'm just gonna just rock with it. Okay, my mommy, my mommy gave me the thumbs up, so we're good. <laughs> so that said, I'm gonna introduce Kariga and Felicia Bailey. Yes, music. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm gonna give them hugs like I haven't been staring at them for the last 30 minutes, but I just love them so much. Thank you, DJ Ola, with the song, okay? Oh, man. Okay, so this is a couple, y'all. If you have seen Black Love, you know their story, you know their, their power in, 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 their, in their words, in their, in their love. Um, a couple who has been together 18 years, 18 years since high school, and married nine years. I know it's nine, because if it was 10, we would have had a whole big party, and I, you know, I would be there. Be <laughs> That's what we would be doing today. Um, and then went to Howard together after Hampton. Um, you know, they went to Here Hampton. There she go. I, I gotta give them a hard time. They went to Hampton <laughs> and Howard, the HBCU lovers. That's right, the that's building. right. Um, and we met you all in 20, I'm trying to think I was introduced to you all in 2019, and we sat down together in 2020. Um, and we sat down together for an interview for Black Love after I learned and observed Kariga in particular on Instagram, um, share a lot of insights and vulnerability that's unique to social media. <laughs> Um, around the transition of your first daughter, Kamayu Soul Bailey. And, and we will talk, you know, as much about that as so many, like I want to start with a question for you all, but I wanted to sort of lay how we met, right? And so much of Kamayu is, is in everyone who knows you, everyone who's seen you, and um, I'm just, I think we're all grateful for her presence constantly. Mm. And I'm grateful just for how much you all have given us, your, your friends, your extended family, your folks that don't know you, how much you've shared. And, um, and grateful to be a part of your lives now and be able to see you continue to, to grow and share 
and, and to see Kamayu show up and to see Kamali, baby girl Bailey Dose, who's right there, guys. Their, their baby girl Kamali. She, <laughs> she has assured us that she will, um, she will not cry because I asked her not to. So um, We're going to see. But these two, like, look, at the end of the day, we're here because I find the, the way that they share their love in all of its forms to be amazing and, and articulate and, and from the standpoint of like most of us when, when we're going through things, when we're being vulnerable, it's hard to like tell people how you feel. And y'all are, are honestly good at that, communicating, and it's inspiring. Mm. And so I wanna start with a question um, that is the, the name of this panel, which is Loving Abundantly. There's so many things that y'all say, and I like use these words and phrases later, but this one in particular, because we talked about it the other day, I want to hear from you. What does that mean? What does it mean that we should be loving more abundantly? I'm here with you. Okay, great. I love how she looks. I'm going to invite myself to take a deep breath. It just helps me be present and outside of a transaction. I recognize Cody asked a question, but there's something even deeper than the question happening. And it's each one of us here who get to witness this. And you talked about where we were and what we had the courage to say or not say or to articulate is challenged. And I'm looking into the eyes of the people who are in these chairs and I can feel the love, I can feel the connectedness. And I just wanna acknowledge that because that's profound. What are we like mid, post pandemic? However you measure it, every last one of us endured and had a reframe and are here. So when I talk about loving more abundantly, I mean, it's all of us. It's not us or them, it's us. It's not somebody else's, it's ours, all of ours collectively, and especially the margins. Like I think, I've heard folks say they, they didn't know what the show had to offer, and totally, because they had an idea that love would only be romance. And romance is such a hard thing to participate in and or sell. So many folks did not see it until later. And love is so much more than romance, right? It is this purpose force. But I believe that like people who are fortunate enough to experience love together should be bountiful in the giving of their love. You should sow seeds and margins that aren't as loved as the relationship or the home. You should look to include other people outside your neighborhood, outside your zip code, right? in that love, in that experience of seeing what love builds like. So when we talk about loving more abundantly, we're talking about the least of us, the left out, and the looked over. We're working from the margins up. And I just think that whenever you are blessed to find someone to practice love with, y'all should be sowing seeds in your family and your children, but across town too. And I allowed Kariga to open it up for us because I know that he can set the context for the question. And when he talks about loving the least of us, the left out and the looked over, this is work that we've been able to practice for the last several years. Um, prior to you all maybe being familiar with my story, Karig and I have done work with mothers who have lost children to gun violence. And in fact, when I found out I was pregnant with Kamayu, we were doing a healing circle for those mothers. And I remember being in that space and not exactly knowing how I could even offer anything for a mother who has lost a child in that way. Karika's work um, 
has been rooted in serving these mothers, but not in so far as it's train, training, but in experience, he has lost his brother to gun violence in 2014 and has had to support his family. Sorry. This uh, I'm, is, <laughs> I'm present. I'm just. The noise. I mean, how many motorcycles could it be? <laughs> I'm glad you know what it is because I'm like, is that the air conditioner? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, uh, but he has had just. He, he's had firsthand experience with working with his mother who um, lost their, their son, brother, uncle, father. And um, in that experience, there was a narrative that was trying to lead on behalf of the passing of our brother that almost suggested like he deserved what happened to him. And I think that happens so often within our communities, especially around gun violence, we start to rationalize in our heads that, oh, it could have been this, or he shouldn't have been there, or you shouldn't have been doing this, you know, your mama tells you not to do this, don't go here. When in fact, our brother was a teacher, and he was supporting someone who needed help, and he was in the wrong place at what appears to be the wrong time but how quickly the media will try and create a narrative otherwise. Mm -hmm. And we had to step in and say no, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I provide all of this information, one, again, to set even more context, but it's all about how we see one another. We all have our individual cognitive pathways and experiences that are informed by our lived experiences. And when something doesn't look like that, I think we quickly can offer a judgment, but loving more abundantly requires us to understand that differences are not deficits. And I think that is where this comes from, our understanding. Yeah. So, yeah, that sounds, it's, okay. it's like a big concept, right? It is, Question, yeah. Those are some of the nuances that we talk about loving more abundantly. Just being able to see within the, being able to see within the margins, being able to see within the context Right. Um, when we are judging, we are incapable of practicing love. Like the cognitive process of judgment interrupts the ability to love. So you cannot judge and love at the same time. Mm. And we have to train ourselves to undo the judging that we are used to so we can love more abundantly. The brain will do what the brain does, but that doesn't mean the heart isn't capable of so much more. Mm -hmm. And if we silence some of the judgments that we've been, the perception, it enables us to love deeper. And I, I just, okay, because I want to hold on to that. I want to remember every word of it because that's why we're here in every way. And I think that's why we all, and I say all representing Tommy, like fell in love when we sat down and talked to each other because, you know, Tommy and I do the work that we do with couples, featuring couples. And we promise each other and, and our couples, you know, we don't judge, right? We just want to hear stories from people that are making it work for them, right? And to your point, you know, when we're judging, we're not loving. And I used to say, and I feel like I got this from my mom, um, there are only like two emotions, right? There's, there's love and fear. And a lot of times that judgment and fear are interchangeable. And, and to what Kariga is saying, that love, excuse me, that uh, judgment, that can be us judging ourselves, that can be us judging others in our community, that can be us judging others' relationships, 
right? Which is, again, why Tommy and I started doing what we were doing, because we are real quick to be like, oh, why are they together? Or why, you know, or even when we're dating, like, why is this person like this? And it's like, when you take it a step further and offer love, that don't mean you got love everybody you date, that don't mean, you know, but when you look through the lens of love, then A, we can connect better, um, and we can, we can find that space of, what am I supposed to be learning here? which I feel like you two have done so beautifully and have articulated so beautifully. And so first, I don't think I've ever asked you this, is like, where did that come from? That is, I don't wanna say it's not normal, but it's hard, right? It's, we out here judging, it happens. But these two over here like, no way. <laughs> let's, let's find the love. Like, just, where did that start for you both? I wish Karika's mom was here. If my mom was here, there's some people who know it. There is a lot, there's so much of it begins there. Um, but I also must say that I don't think anybody in this room has seen me offended. And I'm not the same person when I'm offended. None of us. Neither are, it, none of us are. It debilitates a, a level of ration and a level of agency that we all come equipped with. Because offense means that I must take offense right? That's the only way to get it. I took offense to that, which means that I have to take off whatever armor I'm wearing and put on the jacket of offense. Well, by that time, you made me whatever you want me to be. If I am willing to disarm myself or who I am and what I came with to respond to the offense. I lay it down in that pathway of understanding because that's the way it is with offense. That's an easily identifiable one, but so could it be like the desire to be right or pride or but I think some, large of it, a large part of it comes from like my mother, we come from a people, it's a different sensibility. Um, she's equipped this way and her mother is equipped this way, but everybody is capable of judging. Everybody's capable of being offended. I think what happens is a large part of my experiences in love is also shaped by teaching in Southeast DC. So, my background is in special education. And this was a time where I saw who was populating special education classes, and I saw how the circumstances alter cases, and I saw what happens when that young person challenges the system and how quickly they're otherized. And they deserve the love. And I, I, I would hear the way adults would talk about, this is one of my favorite things, the way adults talk about other people's parenting as if it serves some pathway for you to finally understand the way things are. It's only a glimpse you get. But schools so often discredit families that don't get to show up the way we want them to show up. Mm -hmm. And if I call home because you cutting up in school and nobody answers, and that happens repeatedly, or I can't get in contact with you, I am now discrediting your love for your child because it isn't presenting the way I think love is supposed to present. When, in actuality, when measured against the stressors of what life creates, that adult is doing the best they can by that child and evidence of that child being nine, 10, 15, 16, or 18, mm -hmm. somebody has been caring that long. My baby is just in the beginning phases of life and it requires so much of me to love her. So I think about like, you had a, somebody fed you, changed that diaper over and over again regardless of what that life presents, like somebody cared for it. 
So my students really challenged how I love, who I thought deserved love. Um, they like us to be a sanitized version of ourselves before we get the love. And so many people won't ever present that way and they're not getting the love that actually changes the way they present. It's love that changes people, not judgment. Mm. Can we say that again? It's love that changes people, not judgment. What about you? <laughs> if I were to add anything to how clearly Kariga articulated that, it would be, I remember, so this process of loving more abundantly for me has been something that is ongoing. And I remember being on the side of judgment and observing Kariga's students in D.C. And I, I couldn't quite make sense of how is it that they smoking cigarettes before school? And how is it that they're allowed to have all of these RIP tattoos on their bodies? And how is it that the mother isn't showing up for this and this? And I really made sense in my mind, based on my lived experience with my mom and the opportunities that I was afforded and how she raised me, to say, his mama don't love him. And I remember saying that to, to Riga and, and, and meant it, and he had to help me reframe, if you will, what love looks like in that context for that, for that mother and that, that son. And that has been an ongoing process for me to be able to not use my lived experiences as evidence of what love is, right? And it's so easy to do that, but I feel like it's lazy too, you know? Yeah. So one of the things that we talked about recently, um, and, and you can tell the story or, or not, um, or maybe not say names if you don't want to, but like how love is also showing up for others, right? It, it's showing up for, as you mentioned, like marginalized communities. And, and frankly, that represents us, right? Like we are here as a marginalized community that's like, all right, if they... Uh, white America, the media, entertainment are going to keep telling us that like we can't do this, we can't have happy, loving relationships and successful partnerships and families, then we're going to create a space that celebrates that we know we can and, and showing us what that looks like. But we have work to do, yeah. right? Yeah. To show up better for each other, for black people, black lives, black yeah. love. Yeah. And you shared a story with me recently, um, just an example of that, mm -hmm. um, that if you don't mind, do you remember? <laughs> in the showing up or the not showing up? Well, <laughs> you can choose, but showing up um, for friends. Yeah. You know, basically, I, I'm, speak I'm speaking to the fact that, you know, the judgment, right? We, Tommy and I made a conscious effort to um, show black people finding love whenever and wherever we find it. Because we are very often, I, I say it's hard enough to find the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Why are we always looking at somebody else like, oh, why he choose her? Why she choose him? We do that. Yeah. Um, yes, thank yeah. you, right? Yeah. Honesty. Yes. But also, too, real quick, no, I'll let you finish and then I'll say. <laughs> well, I mean, and the same is true. It, it's the reason that Tommy and I ultimately decided to include um, interracial couples in, in black love. We wanted to show black people being loved on, period. And why we chose to uh, include LGBTQ couples. It was important for us to show black people in loving relationships, period, point blank. Yeah. And, and but, that, but, we, but that responsibility um, 
is on all of us to create safe, loving spaces for each other. And so that's something that we talked about fairly recently. And, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I think we talked about margins. We talked about the least of us that left out, the looked over, um, and grief. That's very hard to conceptualize, hard to connect in the moment. Grief is, can be so disorienting. And social media actually makes it very hard to figure out where to land your care. You're given a number of characters and or emojis. You want to be sincere. You don't want to be repetitive. Damn, somebody said what I was going to say in the comment above. Shit, I'm going to keep scrolling. I'm going to come back. It's happened, right? I'm willing to admit this. I don't know how to land it. We are so more multidimensional than the spaces we connect on. And we have capacity to serve when we don't know what to say. Like, service is an art still. Um, it, it's an acquired taste, and there's so many things we can do when we don't know what to say. But so many of our spaces are about propelling the importance of voice, which I agree, but so much of that conversation is happening within. And you gotta ask yourself, like, how do I show up for that person, right? And one of my favorite things I think I learned is, I learned this just really, in the hood, it's so hard, no matter how much they love their they dead partner, no matter how much, it gets hard to show up for their mother. I've seen it happen over and over again because sitting with a mother's grief is so challenging. It's, it's way more dense than the way your partners experience it or express about it or connect or pour libations, however it goes. Sitting with that mother is hard to do. So I wonder what we can learn from being able to sit with mothers, our own if they're available, or mothers who have experienced grief, period. I believe, I saw, I learned, that there was a radical gentleness afforded to Felicia and I that were not afforded to mothers who lost their children in different ways because the brain started to judge and to create the context of what might have happened why that child didn't make the best decision. It doesn't change the fact that they both still hurt in their wombs. So when I saw what could happen, what human beings were capable of for Felicia, I began to wrap my mind around how do we distribute that? How do we show up for each other like that no matter what the context is? Minus the judgment, how do we serve? And, you know, there is a, there is a, there's a voice to the left. Um, we call him Uncle Hype, right? But Dial's doing photography here. Context. <laughs> he poked his little head he, he photographed Felicia and I's first pregnancy first. And he would always talk about, I just want to show up however I can. And he was like, no, bro, love, love makes itself known. That is important. And it's not about recognition. It's not about positionality. It's literally about serving. We have to become servants again. Anybody who is seeking romance or seeking partnership long term, you will become a servant again. You have to know how to serve. And it doesn't mean the servanthood is one-sided and it's reciprocal and it's bountiful and you serve one another. And if you happen to live long enough to see the quality of life change, you take your ego aside and recognize, yo, one day we will all be servants. I, I don't know if I wanna add that, but I do want to practice grace with myself and extend that as an invitation to all when we talk about how we are judging or how 
when comparing someone else's lived experiences to our own, we create a judgment. I want to also um, humanize that and say, it is actually the most natural thing that we can do. It is a cognitive experience that we are all having. And that practicing, recognizing that someone else's differences are not deficits, that is the work. Mm -hmm. That is love in practice, whether it's with um, our communities, um, our friendships, our parents, our children, and with our, our partners. It's funny and it's nice to hear you, you know, reference parents even, because, you know, part of having you all here, I, it's like everything that you say epitomizes what Tommy and I hoped to, to create and communicate with our community. And one of those things is, you know, we are often the product of our childhoods, right? And I, should, I guess I shouldn't say often, it's probably like hands down, like we are the product of that. And we don't always realize it. And sometimes it's like, oh, everything was good. And, you know, but I think it's important. Like when we say 360 degrees of black love, um, people know the show for romantic love, but it really is looking at your life and the people in your life and recognizing how we, how we show up for them, how we release them of what they did not know better. <laughs> um, and so I just, I appreciate you bringing parenthood into that because this conversation for me is, 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 is black love, right? It's not just like how to be married and stay, you know, it is how do we love each other better? And I feel like we're all trying to figure that out, right? Yes. Like there's not an expert. Right. right. We're all doing it for the very first time and it's changing and ongoing. Mm -hmm. Having grace with ourselves and yeah. acknowledging that. I, it's, it's critically important. Um, and you hear me talk about the margin so much is because that's where I come from. I, I come from a place that it didn't look like this. These conversations weren't happening. I didn't know that I was going to feel the way I felt about Felicia because I didn't know what that feeling was. I didn't understand this type of love. This type of love grew out of being willing, right? But it, I didn't have this childhood dream of romance and meeting my wife in high school. I damn sure didn't plan on meeting my wife in high school. Nah, he didn't plan it. <laughs> but when you, when, you, when you take it into context, when I say I talk about the Martin, that's where I come from, I just believe that like those of us who have access to some level of privilege, I champion us to create life experiences for other people so they can be in the room as well. I'm here because people kept bringing me in the room, right? I got invitations to rooms that I couldn't afford to be in. I got invitations to spaces that I didn't even know how, who these people are. You're talking about a child who's one of eight. My parents are immigrants from Jamaica. We grew up in South Sacramento, namely Meadowview, the same, same neighborhood where Trayvon, no, sorry, Stefan Clark was shot. That's right up my way. My nieces still grow up there. So I can't take being married and having a partner as a degree of separation. Every degree, everything we get is in service, everything. And you hope that you served and you till the soil long enough so that things grow for you in your lifetime or maybe for your children in their lifetime. The things that we do, mom, if my mom was here, she was like, oh my gosh. She'd look around, 
Well, because so much of her life was raising children. She never thought she'd be in rooms or spaces like this or see her children on TV. Well, we should have invited her, Karik. I mean... Oh, I promise. Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, honestly, honestly, I'm, I'm going to get her. She, she was just with us in Oakland. Um, but I, I say all that because I don't want us to be narrow-sided when it comes on to love. It doesn't mean that everything will work out the way we want it to in our lifetime. It means that our children's children will be covered. The path is wide enough for all of us. For all of us. It's wide. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely want you all to be able to ask questions. So, you know, get ready. If you have any, let us know. I hope we have a mic that we can put out there. Um, but I wanted to kind of speak to the fact that both of you have poured your hearts out uh, in writing. Um, I know when we sat down with you guys for the first time, Kariga, you had written, or maybe in the process of, written Soul Affirmations which is also the name of their podcast on the Black Love <laughs> Podcast Network, Soul yes. Affirmations. Um, and so I wanted to just hear from both of you what brought that on. And, and I feel like you're very vulnerable and you share, but like how hard was it to actually do that for both of you? And yeah, I know. How hard was it? I did not want anything to come from my experience. I can say that I meant it. September 30th, 2019, if I could have stayed there, I would have. But the way time moves, it just keeps, it knows to keep going. And it actually became the only evidence that I would have of my love for my firstborn and how much it can grow. So I need it every day, even though I never wanted it. And in the process, I've been able to lean on Kugriga. And I'm so very grateful for him and how he has lent himself in leaning into the process. And he has such a beautiful example of what that looks like. Is that my baby? It is. Hey, little one. She but she's through. not it was like really one. bright, but I saw them. Oh, Crystal gonna get us. (laughs) Shout out to uh, Black Love's podcast producer, Crystal. She (laughs) loves us all dearly because we make her life really hard. Thank you. Shout out to Auntie Lala, too, right here, bringing her forth. (laughs) Get the headband right, okay? Thanks to Target, everyone's watching. Um, but but tell us tell us about yes. yours. Okay, yeah, I'll like, tell you about mine. I know what it is, but I don't know that everybody knows. So my book is called Soul Affirmations, a toolkit for mothers who are investigating grief's process. And in my experience with grief, and it may be similar for anyone else who has experienced grief, you may find that people um, offer you words that come from a very well-intentioned place, but may not necessarily land where they intended it to land. That's one part of it. But then also, I don't know um, if there are any mothers in the room who have experienced loss, but in my experience, I have wrestled with who I thought I would be, who I was, and who I used to be. I was grieving all of those parts of me. And in trying to understand and make sense of the truth about who I am within, I took to modeling what Kariga has done with his book, and I started journaling. And from my journals, um, you will find, authored here, (laughs) um, what has been me investigating what grief was trying to teach me. Um, Kariga often says a greater tragedy is 
to not allow an opportunity for grief to grow me. And um, I think my book is evidence of that ongoing process. And um, Can you do me a favor? What's up? Can you select my favorite affirmation from that book? Which one is your favorite? When we... Oh, man. Okay. So I hear Fee talking about this book uh, as a toolkit for mothers who've ex investigating grief's process, but as a a human being who is not a mother, though I am investigating grief from time to time. No, there are reckonings in this book that are for all of us. Mm -hmm. I read it often, I digest, it informs a perspective, and that's the power of writing. Um, this and, was- No, go ahead, sorry. This was just from leaning inward. My text came from, I was writing another book that's about to come out, but I got to this passage on forgiveness and I could not figure it out. I did not, I did, it was rhetoric. I would not write just based on what I was being taught about forgiveness because I didn't feel that way in my heart. So I went back to my journals to figure out where was any evidence that my heart was changing. That is surrounding wanting revenge for my brother's murder and being able to be here today, not participating in revenge. But I had to go to my journal to figure out where was my cognition changing. And my journal became soul affirmations. But I was writing a book that I could not answer one of my own questions. And I went to my journal. And Fee saw what that was happening for me as I was still investigating the process. And she's such a profound thinker and even a better writer. She's, her writing is fire. But in so many spaces, I just wanted to like, but it was hard when, when my wife says nothing will come from this. And I am forced to hold my faith hoping that light would shine through her, but honor her pace. Mm -hmm. So all I could do was create covering for her to investigate. My pastor came to the hospital and he said, God is not intimidated by her questions. So I took the shift off. I said, good, then go ahead. Because she got questions for only God. I can't answer them, doctor can't, no one can answer them. Covered her and that process, because she writes so often, mm -hmm. there we are with. Thank you, Raven. So, Kariga's favorite affirmation is on page 56. This is how we do it on the podcast. If you got your text, you turn to page 56. <laughs> and it reads, when we share our stories and are open about our feelings, we create room for compassion and connectedness. We create room for reference. We create room for love. Mm. Um, and that has been an ongoing uh, lesson for me but I have found in sharing my story that I'm here to share it with you all. And I also wanna acknowledge the privilege that I've had to be able to take the opportunity to lean into the process. I know that that may not be the case for many mothers, whether they have older children or other responsibilities in the home. Um, and so that's actually why I even have this written. And I have these affirmations and with each affirmation, there's a space for writing so that you can take that time to fully investigate what it is that you're feeling within because there's wisdom there. And something that we talked about earlier was so many people in this room raised their hands when I asked, have you ever experienced grief, right? Like this is something that you wrote from your experience and it, you know, the title is for mothers who've lost, who've, who've experienced loss Investigating grief. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> investigating grief. Um, but investigating grief is a worthwhile effort for all of us. 
and can be done through this book. I sound like a salesman now. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I just obviously y'all see why I adore them. Um, and definitely want, so who's got questions? We've got the mic out there. And the, we love y'all for real though. Like minus all the, <laughs> the trans, you know, the order of operations. It's big love on I the team. I love all my Instagram cousins. I'm going to just say it. Straight up. <laughs> we Hello. Tell us your name. My name is Michael Wright. Me and my wife are here from Baltimore, Maryland. Hey, what up, y'all? Thank you for coming. Yeah. So my question, you just talked about the importance of sharing your story. So me and my wife are kind of in the process over the last three years. We've um, been on a kind of a health and fitness journey where we've lost a combined total weight of over 500 pounds between the two of us. Wow. Um, so... The importance of sharing your, and, the, uh, and me and my wife are both kind of introverts, so we don't get out there a lot, but as we kind of in the process of sharing our story with, on social media and seeing how important that is and people are kind of gravitating to us and, and um, kind of going along on this journey with us, we're starting to see the importance of it, but how long did it take you guys to get to that point where you were super comfortable sharing your story with the world, pretty much? Man. <laughs> Let me tell you, before Cody and Tommy got to the house, I was so nervous. That was not easy for me. But I will say that they have a gentleness about them that really made room for me to be able to do that. And as Cody was saying, they, they don't come into the space with judgment. They come in to learn, they make room, they serve, right? And even right before it aired, I remember calling uh, my best friend, Dominica. I say her name this time because I said it on the show. My best friend at the time. No, my best friend, Dominica. <laughs> and um, I just, I had a moment of fear. I guess some people might label it as anxiety, but it was fear. Fear of what other people might think. Fear of how other people would make sense of what happened to me. I was afraid of people's brains, right? Hmm. And I, I allowed myself to have those tears. And my friend, she asked me, Fee, why are you doing this? And I said, I'm doing it for reference. Because like you said, Cody, we all experience grief. There is connectedness. We find the connectedness when we share our story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, I think, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> you said, another question, Michael, right? So I think embedded in our storytelling is I lost students, right? And I had to like kind of reconcile that. And you know, I've been in, I taught in Baltimore too, but like you get the context, right? Of like what I was experiencing on the South Side. I learned how important it was for me to tell my brother's story because the media was incapable of humanizing a black man who lost his life to gun violence. We have a condition that says you, it's not a human experience, right? It's, a, it's their problem. And my brother was too noble and too loving and too enduring to be done like that, right? By especially a local media station. No disrespect to anybody, but like, you're supposed to be a member of my community. But there's an agenda that tells you to tell the story this way. So, been an MC, music has always been a part of how we tell the story. Um, in fact, Dear Beloved, right? Dear Beloved, I'm just saying this, 
I work with our organization, Be Imaginative. We do healing circles for mothers who lost children in gun violence and our music group, that's why Lauren's holding the baby, but she's other one, the artist in soul development. We won an Emmy for doing what, I guess in my mind is like, that's what the mothers deserve. They deserve to tell their own stories. They deserve a space like a, a black love summit with a nice couch, knowing some real shit though, with a nice couch and some, and some hospitality and a hospitality suite. Like that's how our mothers should be regarded. I'm not interested in hearing anything else, but we always give them a bit and a piece and what's left over. So prioritize our mothers and we will evolve as people. I just share that because sharing the story just became that important. So many people had their stories disappeared, silenced, invisibilized. That's a tragedy because we don't get to learn what folk. When somebody's married in a church for hella long and they just say, we've been through some things. Will you please tell us what those things are so we can figure out, so we can figure out if we can make it too? Tommy and I have been trying to get the right? things. Yeah, tell me the things, because I want to know if we can make it too. And when, if, and when you we, finally... We got two good church members right man, here. Man, come on. Told us come. all about them things. Sometimes we don't find out about those things to the funeral when all the family shows up. Yeah. But by that time, like, the, the love is the honor. You can't take it away. So when we open up about our stories, we create room for connectedness, room for belongingness, room for other people to find themselves in a sliver of that story and then stand in their truth and then tell their story. We have a great deal of invisibilizing folks. And I just think by telling our stories, we create so much more visibility. Okay, y'all, we're gonna take one more question. I saw a hand right here. Okay, perfect. Because they are telling me. <laughs> Hi. I'm Connie. I'm here from New Jersey. Um, hey. <laughs> something that uh, Felicia said um, when you were uh, speaking about um, uh, the loss or of your first daughter was mourning who you thought you were. Um, and I, in trying to better myself, I try to do that, of course, out of the context of grief. Can you talk more about that? Because sometimes when I share this with people that, you know, who I'm trying to explain how I'm working on myself, it seems self-absorbed, mourning who you thought you were or, or, or mourning the person that you wanted to be. Um, I just wanted to hear more about that from you. Yeah, um, thank you for bringing that up because I feel like that is such a connecting point for so many people, especially with 2020. We all experienced this pandemic, correct? And things did not look the way that we thought they would look. I remember all of the little memes and hashtags about 2020 is about to give us all of this sight and we were about to be doing it and then it shut us down. And all of the plans that we may have thought that we were gonna have, now we have to learn how to pivot. And it, Karika has this affirmation that I actually put in my book and it is massive grief calls for massive love. That represents us in 2020. But that, yes, there are real parts of ourselves that I, we are grieving. I was grieving. I had the full expectation to have my daughter in my arms and change her diaper and hear her cries and be tired at 3, 4 in the morning. And it, it, it didn't look like that. And now I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I experience her now? How do I mother her now? And it was not who I thought I would be. With that, Fee, thank you. 
when you brought up the 2020 for all of us, I was talking to a friend um, who missed a lot of tours. And those missed tours created a hiccup in how their world works. But for so long, sorry about that, but for so long, no one was able to hear that, that nuance. We were sitting in the studio, we was at, actually at John's studio, and I said, that sounds like grief. Grief? Yeah, when you, you can mourn parts of what you thought would be, Every, when, you, when you did all the work to get to the place, to take the deep breath, and you find out you gotta take more deep breaths because there's more work to do and you did not get to relax, that is hard to reconcile. That's very hard to reconcile. But it's not because your grief is invalid, it's because that we are mostly a grief illiterate society. And we only really know how to recognize big losses, uh, but life and death are not the only circumstances surrounding grief. And that conflict of resolution in oneself of where I am, do, how do I find my gratitude? Because it's far from me right now. I feel real overlooked, forgotten about. I kind of feel like you got me in the desert. You know what I'm saying? I'm 40, how many? You know what I'm saying? Like, it feels like that. Because what happened to the plans? What happened to my prayers when you used to answer them? And these ones seem like, but every, every conflict is an opportunity for us to evolve into a new version of ourselves. And I think that who's here today, this is why I felt so good when I came here, because I'm not looking at you who you were in 2019. I'm looking at an evolved version of you, somebody who has had to come to knowing some things, and we carry those deep knowings with us, and we impart them with one another. It's not just about being in the building. That's, that's an old currency. The shirt says love is currency. That's an old model. It's about the roads we took to get here. It's not about just who's here. It's recognizing that everybody took a sacrifice. You got Jersey, Baltimore. Come on, Cody, y'all rocking. My mama came from Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> hey, mom. <laughs> um, so we, you know, definitely have to wrap up. And but I wanna, I wanna touch on what you all have said because this conversation was so important. Well, we, when did we get the baby tools? <laughs> Oh, both we of her teachers. The whole diaper bag and a chair. Um, but basically, I'm just I'm grateful to you all for I'm grateful that I know you. We're grateful for you, I'm, Cody. I'm, whenever and we're Tommy. together, y'all, it's like this love fest where they're it like, really "Oh, I'm is. so grateful to you." I'm like, "No, I'm so grateful to you." Like, it's a love fest. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but love you too, I'm, Tommy. I'm <laughs> I'm just I'm thrilled that you're here to have this greater conversation. Um, because, and I want to try to like say everything, like wrap it all up because black love is us truly loving each other, loving each other with abundance, loving each other fully for all of who we are, practicing, sorry about that, practicing less judgment. It's a practice, right? Like nobody, my mom's laughing. She's like, yeah, I be judging. <laughs> practicing, we got to work on it. Um, but less judgment of one another and truly giving of love, serving. Um, because something else that Kariga says that I repeat all the time is black love is black liberation. We and free. Hey, look, we gotta be free. We gotta be free. Drops mic, that's how you do it. He dropped the mic, y'all. That's how you do it. Nah, he did it. No, I didn't, I never had it. I never had it. <laughs> but that's what I want. Yeah. Not just the homes and one, I, yes, the marriage is, yes, 
But until we all free, we ain't free. That's what I'm really talking about. Our babies can grow up knowing something different, right? Oh my gosh, the reason why I love Brooks, I know, I know we're closing, but <laughs> Brooks represents for me a possibility that I never cognitively imagined and never physically saw. And when I saw Brooks existing in the world with his neighbor, I looked at Felicia with such the deepest look of love and reverence in my we eye. Like, to tell them. <laughs> but, but, I, but I told y'all where I'm really coming, where I taught. So I wanted to see children that love. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want. Yeah, we are so wrapping up, I swear. But Brooks is Tommy and I's oldest son. And when they came to our house, the second time we met, um, Brooks and our neighbor, Mr. Calvin, uh, were talking through the bushes. <laughs> And it's like, hey, Mr. Brooks, hey, Mr. Calvin. <laughs> and he had to be three at the time, yes. maybe four at best. It, but, but, but to your point, you know, that's why we're here, right? Uh, another thing we say is trauma-free blackness. We are here to love each other. We are here to pour into our babies, right? Our babies that are babies and our babies that are grown, you know, and so, that, so that our babies can experience trauma-free blackness, full love, abundantly. Now we drop it.